We are excited to have True Products as our sponsor for this podcast. True Products has been working with TFO for a long time, and they continue to work closely to develop unique opportunities to connect people through sometimes life-changing outdoor experiences. With life being busier than ever, none of us have time for a gun that won't cycle or a fishing reel that locks up in the heat of the moment. No matter what you spend your time doing outdoors, True Products has your gear covered. For the fishing, True Cast. For the archer, True Draw. For all your firearms, True Recoil. And for the waterfowl hunter, Max Waterfowl. So if you're looking for a product specifically designed for outdoor gear and want to support the fallen outdoors, visit trueproducts.com. That's T-R-U products.com. From there, you can view available inventory and read reviews from people just like you who rely on a well-engineered product. Remember, True Products is American-made, veteran-owned, and even though they've never had a bottle returned, they offer a 100% satisfaction money-back guarantee. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Nichols, who was on the podcast previously uh, to talk about some cycling stuff that she was doing for the Fallen Outdoors and Brad uh, Hancock, right? Correct. Who was one of the participants in Sarah's uh, event that she hosted this year for the first time, which was the TFO Iron Riders Challenge. So thank you guys for coming on. I appreciate it. look forward to talking to you. Good to be here. Yeah, good to be back on again. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem. Sarah, do you want to kind of go over uh, just exactly what the TFO Iron Riders was about and like how it got started and the, the kind of the goal of what you were setting out to do? Sure. So the TFO Iron Rider Bicycle Challenge was kind of a first event for cycling for TFO this year. We're trying to help branch out beyond hunting and fishing, getting folks outdoors into all the other outdoor um, activities there as well. This started as kind of a brainstorm of mine to go in parallel to the fundraisers I'd been doing for the last um, couple of years. I'd been doing them anonymously, but for the purposes of this challenge, I definitely wanted to just kind of make sure that I'd be better able to coordinate things. So I went ahead and just, you know, used my own name and whatnot. But it starts um, May 1st and it goes all the way through the end of September, which turns out to be 22 weeks. And the concept being the 22 weeks um, in honor of the 22 we lose every day. Um, so the idea was to try and get some other fellow veterans out, much much like our other volunteers and staffers, try and get others out for hunting and fishing. This was a way of getting folks out, out on the trail, out on the road. And it's a virtual platform, which means you can do it from any location. So Brad's in Virginia. I'm in Washington State. We had folks in Alaska. We had one in Korea for a minute, a um, couple of other places. So so it was a way of trying to get folks virtually, you know, build that camaraderie, kind of motivate each other and have some fun and challenge each other too. Some folks, they just started Brad's more seasoned writer. And so it was, it was some folks had a lot of personal bests and it was just a way to kind of kickstart that and see if we had enough momentum to maybe try and get an actual more permanent group going in TFO for some bicyclists as well. 
Yeah, it definitely seemed like it was a hit from the get-go. I know the cycling thing in general kind of was like a little cult of people that are just crazy about, I don't know, pumping their calves. I don't know what it is about <laughs> cycling, but man, it's just, the, especially in the Pacific Northwest, you know, there's a huge culture um, around cycling. You see it all the time when you're going, people cycle to work all the time. They got bike lanes everywhere, um, that kind of thing. What about on the East Coast, Brad? Is that, did you think it kind of follows there too? I mean, is it nationwide movement? Has it made it yeah, out there I mean, yet? It is to a certain extent. It's probably not quite as big on the East Coast as it is on some of the West Coast. Probably, but little of that's probably weather related. I mean, if you're in California, you can ride year round. And yeah, that's true. Uh, in in the East Coast, up in the um, I'm not exactly <clears throat> Northeast, but the DC area, it gets kind of colder in the winter, and there's a lot of people that feel like there's a bicycling season. Um, there, there's a, a, a another contest here in the DC area that's called freezing saddles that basically challenges <laughs> you to ride uh at least one mile every day during the winter freezing uh, i've done that for the last five or six years um a few, a few times it's kind of hard when there's ice or snow on the ground to get out there but you find a time in the day to get out there for a mile or two and, and get it done how much harder does the seat get when it's colder because man some of those cycling <laughs> seats are like sitting on a brick so i can only imagine it's probably worse when yeah it's it doesn't really it, it doesn't really freeze the saddle so much but uh, it's more the freezing road than the saddle but you know that that's actually a misnomer a lot of people have with cycling when they get started everybody wants those big cushy seats but uh but those are yeah. not the the best things for riding out there you want the hard little thing it, it's kind of counterintuitive yeah it doesn't i remember uh, one of my friends when i worked at the hospital up in uh whidbey island he cycled a lot and he would bring his bike from tampa florida when he would come uh, do contracting jobs and stuff. He had a case for it and all this stuff, but his seat was like a piece of leather with a split in the middle and there was like zero cushioning. And that was kind of what he, and I'm thinking, man, how do you sit on that thing? And then to come to find out he's got padded shorts on. So I'm like, okay, well that, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. that makes it you, a little You gotta better. have the right gear. There's a language to everything. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah the, yeah. the gear aspect of cycling is crazy too. Cause uh, we talked about this on the last episode was that it's not hard to, you know, put a budget together that, start to exceed some entry-level vehicles that you get that people are spending on bikes it's like man yeah you don't even have to put the budget together for that if you if you really get into the hardcore cyclist sarah thinks i am i'm not a hardcore cyclist i'm kind of mid-range but i don't know i'd uh, say See, i think compared I to me you're like way up there brad i mean i'm like way down here you're way up here some of the really hardcore guys though they want their bike to be more expensive than their car and, and that's not hard to do with bicycles Oh, I've seen some of the price tags on that. I mean, even in high school or shortly after high school, a buddy of mine's like, yeah, I've got a $10,000 bike on layaway. I'm like, are you insane? <laughs> you got $10,000. Hey, That's you crazy. did it. I'm going to get them carbon fiber rims. I know my wife's uncle does Ironman stuff and his bike. I want to say his like rims or whatever it is that goes in there were like $2,000 a piece just for... <laughs> Just for that stuff. I don't know if it's carbon fiber that's more expensive or something, but it had something to do yeah, with being lighter. Carbon fiber, they're very expensive, <laughs> but they're also very light and strong. <clears throat> so, Sarah, since I guess you're no longer under the guise of, you know, <laughs> K Sarah or whatever the yeah. nickname was, you kind of want to talk about uh, how you got involved and maybe some of your military background now that um, cat's out of the bag? Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I, 
I started doing some fundraiser rides and I didn't want it to be about me. That's why I tried to use a pseudonym, but right. it got more and more challenging because I'd have someone else post for me or the first year I had Shasta posting for me, which was fine. That put quite a bit more visibility on it. Uh, last year I switched over to Instagram and that was, you know, kind of helpful to at least get it out on that platform. Um, this year I've done only that kind of promoting more on my own personal page and much less on the TFO premise, just because I'm trying to actually fundraise from outside of the group because the within the group, there's a lot of folks who contribute. And in this right. way, I can spend more time promoting the actual bicycling and not just, hey, guys, look at me. I'm riding. Right. Right. <laughs> so... Um, I commissioned out of college. I was an ROTC scholarship. Uh, some people call them kid idiots. I was one. <laughs> I graduated Seattle University in 2006 and commercial, uh, commissioned into the nurse corps. My first duty station was Madigan Army Medical Center. Oh, I wow. was um, on the seven north one of the surgical floors for about a year and then i got sent over to be a case manager in the warrior transition unit at the time and then after seven or eight months being at the madigan wtu i get sent down to the warrior transition company the army warrior transition company down at naval medical center san diego for about eight months after that i pcf pcs up to fort wainwright did med surge for about a year and then got back into soldier care case management um for like two and a half years, year and a half, two years and some change um, to finish up my active duty time. And then I uh, uh, became a civilian again in 2013. So how how long were you commissioned? I was active duty for six years and nine months is what I remember my DD-214 okay. saying. <laughs> now now to, stop, to stop, I guess, stop being an officer or something, you have to go through like a more formal process, right? It's not just... Yeah, you actually have to resign your commission. So I had to go through the process of requesting a, God, what was it? It was a, uh, I don't remember the term for it, but it's a, it was a, it was an unqualified resignation or something like that. And so then I resigned my active duty commission, but I had a couple years of uh, reserve time and I just oh, right. did that in the IRR. So and that, that one you to... have to, you actually have to resign as well. It's a little less oh, really? formal. They send you something in the mail every year that says, Hey, by the way, are you done with your time commitment yet? Um, I tried drilling with a actual reserve unit as an IRR soldier for about a year, but it's very challenging to do. And there's a lot of manual paperwork that goes along with it because you're not in the evaluation system or anything like that. It became much more, I was able to drill for points. I just wasn't getting paid, which basically volunteering, but trying to maintain that hand in the military system. But it was becoming more, more and more challenging with some other, you know, things I had evolving in my life at the time. So okay. I resigned that piece of it as well. I think back in twenty set late twenty seventeen, early twenty eighteen. Okay, so you had okay, so that's not too long ago then. No. So you were with TFO towards the end then, or? I joined TFO in November of twenty eighteen. I think. Okay. Yeah, it was actually a patient of mine that had gotten me, um, who had told me about it. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. So transition went fine, I take it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Trans I mean, it's probably easier to transition as an officer, maybe. I don't know. That's a 
very you're, broad you still gotta remember, I was, had the military mindset for like right. four years of college and then seven, oh, okay. eight years of active duty time frame. And after when I came off of active duty, there was sequestration and furlough <clears throat> going on. So oh, yeah. there was no federal jobs available to do what I did. And so I wound up coming back home to Washington State, worked for the Washington State Department of Corrections at the Utilization Management Desk at the headquarters office for about three years. So. Oh, wow. Yes, it's another government agency, but there's people who have not had that same military mindset. And even nursing can be different from one agency to another and a different just population altogether working with prisoners and community correction violators and things like that. So um, it took me a good six months or so to kind of mentally adjust to all of that. I was getting frustrated with coworkers and, and myself and a few other things. But hey, I got to pick my own clothes for the day, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no more haircuts. Well, I guess for you, probably wasn't that big a deal. But then, yeah, the <laughs> choosing what you have to wear professionally. Not yeah, but then there's the burden me. of picking out your wardrobe too. I'm like, man, I gotta exactly. go shopping now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some women are into that. that. Was I'm the not biggest transition for me was figuring out what to wear every yeah. morning. Yeah, right? I remember like going shopping with my wife at like Kohl's. And like I'm looking at dress pants and polos and stuff because I'm coming to <laughs> work in a hospital. And I remember never had having worked at a hospital. I had asked the hiring manager, "Am I supposed to like wear scrubs?" Like because every time you see people in hospitals, you know you don't see the administration staff really unless they're at the front desk. So um, I thought everybody wore scrubs in hospitals, but they didn't. And I actually got caught in that sequestration furlough stuff when I had got out because I had. Um taking a job as a contractor up on Whidbey Island. And then I accepted a GS position in January of 2017. Mm-hmm. And that's right when that furlough hit. And I was in like a four month limbo where I was still working as a contractor, but I was on the way out. So it was kind of a awkward situation because they knew I was leaving, but I couldn't leave yet. Cause yeah. I had to wait for the federal hiring stuff to come on. But um, <clears throat> yeah, so Stayed in Washington pretty much the whole time, except for a stint in San Diego and Alaska. Wainwright, is that the one that's up in the boonies? Well, it's at Fairbanks. It's more like more the middle of the interior of Alaska. Okay, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's not like, I mean, it's not up at Barrow or anything. You still get like an hour of sunlight. I didn't know that. Yeah. So you have Alaska, you have more like Anchorage. Fairbanks is more like in here. Then you have Barrow like way up in here. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that was up there. Yeah. <laughs> Observatory site or something. Probably not a lot going on up there. <laughs> well, they're the ones who actually get like 28 days of like no sunshine whatsoever at the very, very like deepest, darkest part of winter. So the further north you go, the more sunlight you lose. And in the oh, summertime, okay. it's the exact opposite. So you have to have like blockout curtains and everything yeah. just to be able to sleep in the middle of the summertime. Yeah, I went through Anchorage in July of 2015, I think, and it was... Between the black patch clouds of mosquitoes and the sunlight <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night, it was pretty trippy. So, <laughs> Well, Alaska likes to, Alaskans like to joke that the mosquito is the state bird, you know, it's yeah. big enough to carry off small yeah. children and <laughs> tourists. So. Yeah. Hey, yeah, they got something there. There's definitely some truth to that. So, They're like dinosaurs, I swear. <clears throat> Brad, how They'll about yourself? Your you- t-shirt. Before I do me, can I ask Sarah a question? I, what, yeah, what's yeah. the possum moniker? Oh, oh yeah. Um, did you ever watch the Red Green show? It's Canadian humor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you remember the Possum Lodge? 
Oh, yeah. And the possum van. Yeah. So that's why I named my stationary bike possum, too. Okay. I was hoping it had something to do with like you hitting a possum on your bike. No, 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 no. I wish. (laughs) So when I'm riding my stationary bike, I'm in my office and I have the hardest time staying motivated on stationary. So I would watch the Red Green Show reruns to try and just pass the time. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to name the bike the possum too. I may as well. That's cool. No, that's great. I, I always wondered what was behind that. I saw your plate and I never could quite figure that out. Yeah. But, uh, possum 2 yeah. is in deference to the Red Green Show, where the Possum Lodge motto is Quando Omni Flunkus Moritati, which means in Latin, when all else fails, play dead. <laughs> <laughs> that or use more duct tape. That too. They had a big, huge thing with duct tape. Uh, so Austin, I'm a, I'm also a ROTC guy. I, I went to Auburn ROTC, uh, graduated in 1990, uh, Navy officer. I, I spent uh, six years flying with the Navy okay. as a Naval flight officer. And uh, I, I realized pretty quickly that the airlines weren't going to use Naval flight officers. They really only wanted pilots. So I, I wanted something that I could do outside uh, when, I, when I got out of the Navy. And uh, I had an engineering degree, so I transitioned over into the Civil Engineer Corps, which is the uh, the officer corps for the CBs in the Navy. Okay. And uh, so I, I did uh, 16 years as a Civil Engineer Corps officer, um, primarily managing facilities for the Navy, uh, you know, uh, tearing down buildings, building new buildings, that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, retired in 2011 after 21 years. Wow. Um, really enjoyed my time in the Navy. Um you know, getting out, it, it, well, you, you talked to Sarah about the transition a little bit. It, I right. kind of had to make that transition while I was still in the Navy. When I went from being a Naval Flight Officer to a Civil Engineer Corps Officer, I I went from being 100% military, you know, flying with, with other military to working with probably 80% civilians. So oh, I, wow. I made that transition as a Navy Lieutenant and had to figure out how to how to work with civilians and that I couldn't <laughs> order them around. Uh, and, uh, so when I retired, it wasn't quite as big a transition. I still had that figuring out what to wear thing. I spent <laughs> about a year asking my wife every morning, can I wear this tie with this shirt? Yeah. Help and, me uh, match colors. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Can I, can I do a stripe with a plaid or, you know? <laughs> so the CB thing with the civilians, I didn't realize that was that much of a rate. I mean, that ratio is huge. 80%. Is that CONUS stuff that you're doing where you're working with them while they're building stuff on bases or? So it's the, the civilians aren't really with the CBs. The, the Civil Engineer Corps for the Navy is, is broken up into kind of three sections. There's, there's the staff corps section that is um, what you think of going and working with the Office of Secretary of Defense, the policy type stuff. Okay. There's the, um, the public works sector, which is where I spend a lot of my time. And that's actually taking care of the Navy buildings. Uh, Navy and Marine Corps buildings. And then there's the CB side, which is the, uh, you know, the, the more active uh, wartime component. Uh, okay. So if you're with the CBs, you are still basically a fully military operation. Um, oh, all right. Since I transitioned from flight into Civil Engineer Corps, I really didn't spend a lot of time with the CBs. I spent my time on the, the public works and the staff side. Okay. Interesting. And you were cycling this whole time or? No, so I, I really didn't get come in for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't get involved in the cycling until uh, probably the year I retired, or maybe even the year after I retired. So about 2011, 2012, and man, you just and ran honestly, out of I this. started doing it because I was gaining weight. 
Um, <laughs> okay. I, I had, you know, in, in the military, you've got to work out and, and you've got your twice annual. I mean, at least you're going to run twice a year for your physical fitness <laughs> test or something. Right. And uh, when I retired, I just kind of quit doing that. And I, I, I had to go out and buy all the suits because I retired. And six months later, I was getting them let out. And uh, so I, I, I started biking. It, it, you know, everybody does it as a kid, I guess. But uh, it just seemed interesting to me. And I started again. And I went out and bought a, um, I, I didn't go to Walmart and buy the $200 bike because I knew that wasn't going to do anything for me. So I, I went to a bike shop. Right. And I bought a what at the time was about a thousand dollar bicycle, which I, I thought was really expensive. My wife thought was really expensive, uh, but it was a, a flat bar road bike. It's kind of what you think of as a hybrid. You know, the bars just run straight across the top. And, and I thought this thing's going to be more comfortable to ride because if, if I get on a what we call a road bike now with the curvy handlebars on it, I'm like, you know, that that just doesn't look comfortable. There's no right. way I can yeah. ride that. I'll be yeah. more upright on this flat bar thing and I'll ride it and. And bluntly, I rode it for about six months and realized I had made a mistake that it was not more comfortable, <laughs> that the road bike, uh, the curvy bars are there because they give you more positions to move your hands around so you can move around while you're riding. And in the flat bar, you've got one position and that's it. Oh, I see. Um, so are you sitting up? Are you having to sit up more on that flat bar one, too, where you can't? Yeah, really, like, so you're, you're a little rest. more straight up. And I, I kind of thought that would be the more comfortable part was it would be easier on your yeah. back. But again, uh, the, the road bike is built so that you get into that more leaned over position. And, and to me and for most people, it's actually more comfortable to do it that way. Really? Yeah, because I look as someone who doesn't cycle. Um, looking at it. It looks uncomfortable. It looks like riding a cross rocket. You always hear people oh, talk yeah. about cross rockets. You know they're uncomfortable. Like, why would you ride that? It's more natural to kind of have your hands up. And but you look at those cyclists and they're you know hunched well, over, I mean, and it just looks like it's doing. It's going to be about different spine. body mechanics and knowing your own yeah. body too. For me, right. I mean, I actually have a hybrid with a straight bar. I just have some ergonomic handles on it. For me, it's more difficult to have that more lean forward posture just because of some spinal issues that I have. Okay. So um, for me, sense. my chiropractor actually has me leaning you know, up a little bit more to kind of change the the position for my neck and a few other bits of my spine. So for it's it's... It's just based on your body and what works best for you. But hey, for the folks who who ride with the Ramhorn bikes, go for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean Sarah's absolutely right. It it is uh, it is what what works best for you. And I mean, there's different bikes out there because of that. Uh, different shapes, different sizes, and again, a lot of people that go out and don't really know what they're doing. And I didn't know what I do when I started. You 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 go to a bike shop and you hope that they tell you the right thing. They may give you right. the right size, and they may not give you the right size. And you know, two centimeters of difference in the size of a bike doesn't sound like very much, but it's a huge deal if you get one that's the wrong size. It just really you'll, you'll never fit on it properly because it's just right. leaning. You're leaning too far forward versus something like that. Yeah, or, I mean, you, you have you 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 get your body. You say two centimeters. Out. Where's the yeah? Where's the so adjustment? The, the measurement is actually from the uh, the basically where the pedals are, the crank up to uh, kind of the top bar that goes across. Okay, and, and that's 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 how they they measure bikes. Uh, but of course, when you change that distance, you're changing every all every other piece of geometry on the bike as well. Okay. Uh, so if if you get one that's too big, you end up kind of stretched out, and uh, you 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 know you're you having to use too much ab muscles to support yourself, or your legs are trying to extend down too far, and your knees are hurting. Uh, and constantly, you know, the opposite side. If you get one that's too small, you've got exactly the opposite problems, and uh, 
most people that get into relatively serious riding will spend three or $400 and go get a bike fit done. Uh, where you go and they put your bike on a stationary trainer and they have, they watch you ride and sometimes they'll video you and use computers to, to figure out if, uh, you know, your body is, if, are your legs extending the proper amount? Are they extending too much or that kind of stuff? And, and you can spend almost as much on uh, new parts for your bicycle to fix the fit as you did on the bicycle itself sometimes. <laughs> so be wary of those is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> know what you're getting yourself into. Right. <laughs> Okay, I, mean, so I, I kind of envy people that enjoy running. I, I never enjoyed running. It was always painful to me. It hurt my knees. Yeah. It doesn't take um, anything but a pair of shoes. And even then, right. some people you run a pair of shorts so. and a pair of shoes yeah. and you can do it anywhere and everywhere. But uh, yeah. I, I enjoy biking. It doesn't hurt me, uh, but it costs me a whole lot more than running. <laughs> <laughs> See, I try and find any... that happy meeting of not breaking the bank, but, you know, being a little yeah, bit more like durable than level. the Walmart special. Yeah, yeah, and I remember when we had talked originally, you had mentioned the same thing of going to a bike shop and talking to talking to him about it and seeing yeah. what would actually fit well, you and depending versus on just the bike going shop and buying like a Schwinn. To, yeah, I mean, for my bike, they actually like redo, they'll do the brakes for free and they'll redo the gears for free for the life of the oh, okay. bike. So oh, wow. I'm actually due for another tune-up here pretty soon once I finish oh. my 22-plus rides. <laughs> You're not done yet, huh? <laughs> no, I got derailed back in like July, August time frame. I was sicker than a dog with an upper respiratory infection, and because I'm an asthmatic, oh, it yeah. kicked my butt to the ground so hard. I was, it was bad. So oh, I'm no. trying to make up for that. And then I had one, one or two rides where I actually had like an arthritis flare up in one of my toes, and oh, no. so. Um, just too many delays and too many, too many problems with, um, not being able to do too many rides all at once. And I'm trying to make them up alongside the folks during the challenge and trying to be fair to them, even right, though I'm not right. competing with them. I wanted to be saying, you know, Hey, this is solidarity. I'm doing with right, you we're guys. We're doing it together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I ran into some hiccups because <laughs> people are sponsoring my rides. So, oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, can you talk to- about what the, what the challenge was and kind of how, how you tracked it and what the, I guess, what the goal was. I mean, was there a 22 rides, right? But was there a distance thing? Like, how did you make There's it a competition? There's a distance thing for mine. When I do my fundraiser ride, when I do the 22 plus rides, it's at least 22 miles each ride. But for this, this, I wanted to cater to everyone's level of participation and ability. Okay. So, you know, it was, hey, do whatever rides you can. I'm going to post my ride as like the placeholder for the week. You have all week to ride. You can post more than one ride, but you have to pick one. And that will count as your ride for the week. And I actually, you know, just tracked it on an Excel spreadsheet. So, yeah. Okay. Ta-da. There you go. <laughs> and I came prepared. Okay. Each one of those lines is that is that a writer? How many did you have? We had thirteen people sign up. We had about three who didn't participate at all for one reason or another because life got a little bit hectic. Right. We had five people completely fill out all twenty-two rides, and then we had five people who participated to some extent or another. Cool. So um, we had opportunities at the end of the month. I would do what we call the double header, where hey, if you're missing a ride, you can make one up. And then the very last week, the twenty-second ride, it was anything goes without breaking yourself. So if you're missing right, right. five rides don't try and kill yourself with doing 100 miles each time or yeah. whatever i just yeah, reinforced Brad. safety for each hey Brad would, i never Brad do more than 100 mile ride in a week i think i saw a week 20 
I went back and kind of looked before we did this and tried to find the one that I saw that was most recent. And I think week 20 was the one where I saw you did like a 111 mile ride. And I'm thinking, dude, come on, man, get another hobby. Man. You got to have something going on. How are you? Believe me, I have other hobbies. You can talk to my wife about that. But um, that, that was actually another, that was an organized event. There, There's a yeah, couple times a year like that I try to do a, a century ride, a 100 mile ride. Yeah, um, and that one was up in uh, Dover, Delaware. Um, it was it's called the Amish Backcountry or Amish yeah. Country Ride, and it's it's, it's very cool. flat, so it's easier to do a longer distance like that. But the, nice. What was the time? What, do you remember what that? How long that took you to ride? Uh, it was a little over six hours, I think. What do you feel like after that? I mean, is it is it like after what you feel like a you know five mile run, or is it worse? Well, I don't know. I've never run for five miles. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 honestly, a, a hundred mile ride is probably relatively akin to a marathon. I mean, I, okay. I, I, that right. one, because it's relatively flat, I was not dead at the end of it. I, I was fine. But uh, I, I've done uh, centuries in the past where you're doing, um, I, I was actually looking at, at my account today. And I think the, the biggest one I did was about 9,000 feet of climbing in a hundred miles. And at the end of that one, I could barely walk. Um, so wow. it, it's, it's more the elevation that gets you usually than it is the, the distance. Just having to climb those hills and right. Yeah. Hills are evil. <laughs> yeah. I imagine after 111 miles, you probably have some kind of like permanent hunchback <laughs> thing going on for a little bit. <laughs> well, truthfully, it's not, I, I didn't do the whole 100, 111 without stopping. There's rest stops along the way. So we, oh, we yeah, take a 15, imagine, 20 yeah. minute break and get some water right. or some bananas or something as we're going. But, uh, yeah, they do that one up in Washington where they ride from. You mean the Seattle to Portland? Yeah, Seattle to Portland. And when we used to live in Rainier, they would camp out on that blacktop. that's on the north side or kind of it runs through the center of Rainier. But where we lived, it was just on the north side of that highway there. But you would see tents as they were doing it. And that obviously was way a super long ride. But have you That's ever done that 200 one? That's a 200 and some odd mile ride. I can't remember. And it's like a week long, right? Don't they take a week no, to do it or something? No, there's some people who do it in a day. And then there's some people oh, okay. who take two days to do it. And a friend of mine, she actually did a 50 miler with me last year. And she's done that one. She's done the ramrod. She's done a couple of them. And she said it was actually easier to do the one day or if you can build up to it. Because by day two, you're so torched from doing everything. Oh, right. You're yeah. like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> like you thought you were done, but you're only halfway there. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, 111 miles getting- and- Getting off the bike and getting back on this is the bigger problem. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I would think, it's, especially after being on it for six hours. How, how long a break did you take after that one? Or was it like, I'm did sorry, you take a week? Again? For, I mean, after you get off a 111 mile ride, are you out the next day, like doing a little short ride, or did you take like a week off? Or, uh, that particular day, I took the next day off because I, I used it to drive back home. Um, but I frequently will ride, uh, 15 to 20 miles before one of those longer rides the day before one of those longer rides. And then the day after, again, I'll do an easy, but 15 to 20, 20 mile ride just to, you know, keep everything kind of lubricated and moving. And so you don't get stiff and whatnot. Do you guys carry like, a, or I guess at the stations, maybe they have it in case you get like a, what happens if you get like a flat tire or something like that on that thing? So I'm. I'm mostly so most cyclists are pretty self-sufficient when you ride. There's a, a, a little tail pack you can put underneath your seat and you, 
uh, or, or other other ways you can carry it. You can carry it in the pockets of your jerseys. Uh, most bicycle jerseys have three pockets on the back that you can stuff stuff in. And uh, so you you usually carry a spare inner tube, so you can change the inner tube out if you need to. Um, a lot of people will carry a little patch kit, so if you were to puncture the second inner tube, you could patch it. Um, they obviously have some have some some type of pump, either CO2 cartridge or pump with you, so you can pump the tire up. Uh, usually carry a little multi-tool so I can, you know, adjust things or if something comes loose, you can kind of tighten it up. Um, but I, I, I've, it's, it's been very rare that I've been on on a ride and had to get rescued. I, I can think in the, in the years that I've been doing it, I can think of two times that I had to get rescued. And one time was because the, um, the, the, the rear uh, mechanical piece that allows you to shift is called a derailleur. And there's a uh, it it hangs on a little aluminum bracket, and that bracket's designed to break if it uh, if it comes in contact with something to keep from destroying your derailleur, because the derailleur is much more expensive. So I, I broke a hanger, and when you do that, unless you have a spare hanger with you, there's nothing else you can do. So I had to get rescued off of that one. Okay. Uh, and the only other time I had to get rescued was I I had three flats, and uh, I just oh, man. I didn't have three tubes with me. So. Yeah. yeah. I think something you had mentioned against that in the chat group, didn't you, Brad? Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you remember when I was having that string of flat tires? You're like, oh man, I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I, think- I, I frequently had two in one ride. That that ride where I had three, just uh, I, I had to give up at that point. <laughs> do you do you ride for competition then, or do you just ride to kind of keep active? Uh. I, so I ride for a couple of reasons. Um, as I said, I started doing it uh, for weight, uh, you know, just physical fitness more than anything else. And I, and I still do it for that. Um, I, I went for a couple of years where I wasn't riding nearly as much. And, and honestly, I put on a lot of weight at the uh, at the end of last year. I was I weighed about 235 pounds and, and that was just way too much for me. My wife and I uh, decided to, to work on that and we changed our diet significantly and I started riding quite a bit more. Uh, so I, I've lost 70 pounds uh, in the last wow. year, uh, which is Congrats. where I That's should awesome. be. Um, so, so you know, just staying active and being physical, physically fit is is the main reason I ride. But it's also a, it's a mental thing for me. Um, it's my stress relief. So you right. know, if I've had a an ugly day at work or I'm expecting an ugly day at work or something, I'll go out and pound out 15, 20, 30 miles, and that's that's just a way to. I, I do most of my riding on my own. I, I, I do belong to a, a couple of clubs here locally. So I ride with other people uh, on occasion, but probably 75 to 80% of mine is just me out on the road uh, where I can think about whatever I want to think about or not think about anything at all. Uh, and just, you know, de-stress basically. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. These uh, rides you're going on, is, is a lot of it like urban or are you out kind of in a rural area where you're kind of riding on, it's a, or? it's a little of both. Uh, so I, I live uh, right outside of Quantico, uh, which is okay. uh, kind yeah. of a DC suburb. Yeah. And I, I work at Fort McNair in DC. So um, before <clears throat> COVID, I, I was getting up every morning and, and going to to, uh, to work and I'd get to work a little before six in the morning. And I would do a ride around DC. DC's got some really good, uh, you can call them uh, multi-use trails. Uh, people jog or walk or, or bike on them. Okay. And uh, there, there's a three or four up there that I could, uh, in a week's time, I could ride five different routes of 20 miles and really not cover any of the same territory. Oh, wow. Uh, and then uh, when I was home, uh, it, 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 this area is a little more rural. It's kind of horse country-ish. Uh, so I can, I can leave my house 
and within about a mile and a half, I can be on a multi-use trail that will take me uh, out to the horse country, and then I can ride on the rural roads out there. Okay. Um, and uh, from from there, I can I can easily do a hundred miles if I want to with that you know without worrying about traffic too terribly much. So. Yeah, that's where I was it, going with it. I was just wondering if there was any so being kind of. I mean, you've been doing it for ten years now, but when you first got in, was there any hesitation as far as like? You always hear about, you know, people getting hit on the bike. Like that just makes the news, even though it's like <laughs> one person a year in, you know, seven counties. When one person gets hit, it makes the news for like a week. But I didn't know if there was. Any- yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't I wouldn't be honest if I tell you I don't worry about that every time I get out there on the road. But um, right. I, I will say that. Ninety percent of the drivers are fairly conscientious. It's the ten percent you have to worry about. And right. uh, there's some some things you can do to kind of protect yourself. Um I do most or a good bit of my writing very early in the morning before rush hour. Uh, and, and, uh, it, so it's dark when I'm doing it a lot, but I, I'm very well lit. I've got a good headlight on the bike and I've got a, a tail light that flashes and it's, uh, it's actually set up as a radar. So when a car is approaching me from the behind, it will, uh, it'll flash on the little computer that I had up front and tell me that car is approaching me so I can be ready for it. You got a fancy uh, setup. Yeah. Well, you, you got to have the gadgets, right? <laughs> what, what what is what is this device that's like a is it a screen or is it so, something that so tracks? It, it, it's two pieces. Uh, the 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 screen when you most people that are out riding outside are going to have a, a bike computer, uh, and that computer the one I have almost all of them are GPS units, so they they okay. they track your speed and distance and route and everything through GPS. Uh, so the the computer has a Bluetooth link to a uh, a tail light that's called a Garmin Varia. And uh, that tail light, it flashes so people can see you, but it's also literally a radar unit. It sends out a radar beam uh, to see when there's something approaching from behind you. And as it gets closer and closer to you, it, show, it, it shows me on my computer how close it is to me and how quickly it's approaching me. Wow, that's awesome. But, man, it's not a camera, right? It's just like a little indicator bubble or something that pops up letting you know. Yeah, so the Varia, Varia is just a radar. It just shows you where the uh, it, it just shows you um, how many cars are approaching and how quickly they are. There, there okay. is another one out there called a Cyclic. Uh, I don't think it's a radar, but it it's a camera instead. So it it won't. I don't believe it shows you uh, in real time that something's approaching you, but it's it's kind of an after the fact. If somebody were to hit you, it records oh, it right. and, and would be able to use it for that purposes. I, I used to ride with a GoPro a lot. I had one up front and one in the back. Um, and, and I kind of stopped doing that. Um, I figure if I'm going to get hit, it's going to be too late at that point anyway. But, uh, I, you know, I just, I, I, I'm careful about the roads I ride on. I'm careful about, um, you know, making sure that I give the cars the right of the way, trying not to run stop signs or red lights or stuff like that. And, uh, right. I, I've had a couple of, minor close calls i haven't had anything where i felt like my life was really in danger but I, i've had a few where I, I you know people passed me a little more closely than i really wanted them to but for the most part everybody's good about it yeah no no encounters with wildlife or anything on those multi-use trails or stuff huh? uh you know i i run across <laughs> deer all the time uh, yeah. especially up around dc um, <clears throat> they're they're uh, the, the one of the trails that i ride runs from dc up to bethesda uh, and it runs along the cno canal uh, so there's there's a, a really old uh, uh, canal that they use to move uh, uh, wares from uh, actually Ohio all the way into D.C. 
and uh, this trail runs along part of that canal and there, there's a lot of wildlife on it so i do run across deer quite a bit up through there i've never I've never run into one, thankfully, but I have had them cross the path right in front of me a lot. And of course, there's always the ubiquitous squirrel that runs out in front of you and stops oh, yeah. or runs the other way yeah. or whatever. You never wrecked because you tried to dodge here, it. They anything. try and outrun you, and then they zip right in front of you. I'm like, yeah. dude, what are the – the rabbits are smart enough to at least beeline into the wood line. Right. Yeah, they run the yeah, other way, but those things. <laughs> in the years that I've been riding, I, I, I consider myself relatively lucky. I, I've only really crashed about three or four times. And uh, every time that I've done it has been because I was crossing a uh, a, um, a, a boardwalk. Basically, the the bridges are kind of our boardwalks, and in, in the mornings they're they're pretty slick because of the uh, the dew that's on them. So it, every time I've crashed, it's been because I've I've had a tire slide out on on that slick uh, slick wood. I've I've never had any other instance that's really caused me to crash. Okay, well that's good. That's good to hear. <laughs> it's good for me. Yeah. No, it's bikes, a great you thing. Don't you to... don't have to worry about paramedics confusing the, the paint splatter pattern on your jersey for blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I got yeah. hit one time and that actually happened. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, in a, in a crosswalk of all places. In a crosswalk. Mm. And I even paused and the dude was just not paying attention and I hit his front right fender and that hurt. <laughs> Fortunately, nothing yeah, like that's, no major damage, but that that smarted. Were you in an ur- urban area when that happened? Or? No, I'm out in the suburbs, man. Uh, it was okay. 4.30 in the afternoon. It was a summer day. It was August the 6th, I think. And people are coming off of work, and everyone's in a hurry. And, so, and what some of the uh, witnesses, or at least the people who had stuck around for the police had said was they were driving behind him and they noticed he had been kind of swerving a little bit here and there, you know, even coming off the highway. So they weren't sure if maybe he was texting or some other distraction on his driving. Oh, did we lose Austin? I think we might have. It looks like the recording just stopped. Uh-oh. Don't. See, well, hopefully see we if get he'll back. join us back here in a minute. Yeah. Well, hey, it's nice to finally meet you, Brad. Likewise. Hey, I, I hope I didn't put a, uh, a a damper on anybody that was planning on participating no. with putting too many miles in. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you took us all by surprise because honestly, before you had jumped in, Steph Silbernagel had actually, she was our first person who had joined in and <laughs> Brad, doing the retroactive the, the TFL you know, stuff. Is that when you and the group was, uh, I actually brought it to the group with like, hey, or when did you do we come want across to, TFL? you know, allow someone in you who know, wasn't here for the start because not everyone and saw it right I, away I, I and so the group is the one that made the consensus of yes we'll have this process for retroactive and she was real, killing uh, it i mean before her it was who uh, was it it was, it was that, uh, james vowel uh, he was the one who started in korea then his uh, wife was back in north carolina he was getting ready to pcs uh, texas and then his bike got damaged in the pcs move yeah, and, uh, so before I her, had he was the I've top contender, and he was blowing people away. So then she stepped on, and she was it. starting to just rack <laughs> and, and up the miles. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, <laughs> and you stepped uh, they on shut board. down. And the three of you were going at it for a minute in there. 2020. <laughs> and because they didn't do it in 2020, they basically so, lost no, I mean, it, and they, they kind well, of went out of business, And there's been a couple of suggestions. 
And um, I don't and know, we'll probably happened, try and save some of this for whenever we get back onto the interview space. Throw myself but, into or um, behind. Yeah, no, there's and been a couple of suggestions TFO, so for I, future I, I events. Or not. It, I remember um, you or someone else had suggested maybe a buddy ride where you got uh, a really, really seriously experienced person and, you know, someone who's more of a beginner so you can kind of maybe uh, even probably out about the, miles the time a that bit. I saw the bike ride in there. I, I had already been in a little bit. Um, I, I've been out on one TFO event. I, I, uh, I, I won a smallmouth bass fishing event that I went on and I've volunteered uh, to take folks fishing with me. Um, uh, my family and I went on vacation down on Lake Lanier and, uh, excuse me, Lake Hartwell in South Carolina um, over the summer. And I, I took a couple of veterans out while I was down there over t using TFO. And uh, I also do a, a good bit of shooting. I belong to an Isaac Walton League here in uh, Stafford County. And I've, I've brought a couple of people out to some shooting events that we have. Um, so w when I saw the, the bike ride pop up there, I'm like, well, I already ride bikes. And, you know, uh, <laughs> at the time I was actually doing a, a stop, sol stop soldier suicide uh, fundraiser that was bike riding as well. So I, I'm like, I'm already riding it. You know, I'll, I'll join this thing and see what's going on with it. And um, yeah, it, I was I was telling Sarah earlier, I, I, I was probably a little more. Um, of a rider than most of the people that were joining it. So I, I hope I didn't turn anybody off by, uh, <laughs> uh, by putting some higher miles up there. But uh, I, I think maybe I challenged a person or two to get into some longer rides. So that was kind of yeah, there, my goal. There for was doing a couple it. of folks who definitely stepped up their game a little bit. And um, yeah, I mean, Aaron Sims, he was the guy who came in second and he went from doing his first ride was 15 and some change. And he finally got up to the point of doing like 50 mile rides and he has a stationary bike. and He's very proud and he should be, too, because he made incredible strides on his rides. Yeah. Um, Sarah, so, as, as we look forward to doing this next year or something, I, I think that's something that I'd like to try to maybe do is do like most improved rider or something. Maybe have oh, yeah. three or four yeah, different prizes yeah. that we could give up. Well, and definitely now that we have established our footprint a little bit, I think it'll be good grounds for, I mean, this time around, I'm the one who sponsored the prize, but if there's a way of maybe seeing if we can either do some fundraising for some other alternative prizes or see if anyone else wants to contribute or even talk to different, you know, corporate entities or whatnot, see what we can get up. But I agree. Something like, you know, first place, most improved, um, something, maybe just a couple of honorary mentions like certificates too, because CT Pelton, I don't know what her actual name is, but her, her Facebook handle is CT Pelton. She's the one who's up in Alaska, who's posting the pictures of her kids. Oh, wow. And she told me, um, she told me in a private conversation, she, or maybe this was the group, because we actually had a group messenger chat going to kind of kind of motivate each other that you know not everyone could see but we were we were all in the same group and CT was saying that um, she doesn't measure her rides in miles she measures them in smiles <laughs> so you yeah. trying to get people in the fields there or what's going on <laughs> yeah oh it was so cute i mean she posted them with her kids she even put videos up sometimes and even That's i think awesome. the youngest was on a balance bike or something and you know she there was like twice that she rode from her place to the the badger gate out at fort wainwright i think she said so there was two times where she said hey i did i know this is like two miles i know it's not going to get me anything on like as far as competing with anything but i want to contribute to the group's total so can you please you know log the two miles for each way I'm like okay sure right cool and i mean I, I, ultimately yeah. that's what it's about i mean it's, it's the same as anything else in tfo it's a, it's it's not really about you know trying to convert people to bicycling or anything it's about getting people in the outdoors and getting yeah 
you know, give, exposing maybe somebody to something that they haven't tried before, maybe they'll really like. And again, like I said, for me, it's it's all about stress relief. So yeah, if, if it is if it's good for me, it's probably good for some other people too. All right. Well, I appreciate both you guys coming on to talk about uh, the TFO Iron Riders. I appreciate both your both your guys' service. Um, thank you very much for doing this, Sarah, uh, Brad. Thank you very much for participating in the TFO Iron thing, and I really look forward to seeing. Uh, what is going to happen next year. It sounds like you guys got some great ideas for a follow-on event, uh, maybe sooner than May, who knows, but with the weather permitting, uh, definitely th- th- thank it's you for doing this. It's been a great time. It. Thank you ha- uh, for having us again. Thanks, Sarah, for sponsoring. I really enjoyed it, and I appreciate you having us on, Austin. Awesome.